Welcome to another episode of the LeafCast. Takes by Leaf for Leaf. Yo, I appreciate you tuning in. You could be doing anything with your time right now. Yeah, you choose to listen to me, so I rock with you. We're about two weeks out from the election now, so we're kind of coming down the home stretch here. And as we come down the home stretch, I think from my perspective, the biggest thing that I would want to convey to the audience, at least what I've told myself internally, is buckle up. You know, whether you want to call it the best or the worst or something, there's some more shit to come. If you remember, if you recall, the one thing that Donald Trump has been successful at throughout his career or in his career, one thing he's demonstrated success at was being a reality TV show and kind of staging things, playing things out for the audience, teasing the audience, you know, getting ratings on kind of thing. And that's kind of the way that he's approached not just obviously his three plus years in office, but now the campaign as well is that there's a lot that is more, at least the way that I think about it, scripting from a reality TV show than it is anything about trying to win an election. So this is more reality TV programming. I don't want to, you know, go over a lot of ground that we've touched on previously as it relates to both the federal criminal and civil charges that he faces. Um, There's a lot of jeopardy on his end that would behoove his ass to actually win a second term. So set that aside. But once you start, and again, this is a guy who's obsessed with numbers, ratings. So if you look at polls, and the polls would suggest that he's about, at the very least, conservatively, 10 points nationally behind Joe Biden. Um, Swing states, typically between eight and four points that he is behind Joe Biden. Some of that was within the margin of error. But one of the interesting things that Nate Silver did um, looking at the statistics, and I think we've talked about this previously, but just to you know, just to give you a recap here, is that obviously we understand that the presidency is decided upon an electoral college, right? So the popular vote, you know, again, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but let lost the electoral college. Right? So you could have everybody in fucking California vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is. But in Iowa, in Ohio, if these states turn the opposite way, then you're fucked. But one of the things that Nate Silver pointed out, which is, yes, there's a difference between the popular vote and the electoral college. But once you get to a certain threshold in terms of how you are winning or the percentage that you're winning the popular vote, it almost exceeds, it doesn't matter about what the polling is in these in these individual states. There's such a groundswell, so you would assume if, if you get over 10 points, typically, you're going to win. You're going to get 270 electoral college votes. That's typically how it goes. Um, a lot of Trump supporters 
and Trump himself can point back to 2016, can point back to where he was 10 points down in the popular vote to Hillary Clinton, came back and won. And there's a couple of things that we should point out about why these two instances are not analogous. Number one, as we talked about previously on the show, Joe Biden is a man, Hillary Clinton is a woman, and obviously you know that, but I think a lot of voters reacted viscerally in terms of just exposing their own hatred for women and would much rather give Trump a try than ever have a qualified woman in office. That was coming with a calculus that certain voters did. But now that calculus is out the window because you're talking about two old white men. One of the other things that people point out in terms of, well, you know, Hillary Clinton was up about the same amount. Well, the under, the difference was that there was a spike in the Hillary Clinton polling after the Access Hollywood tapes. Right? Joe Biden has been up consistently 10 points for several months now. This hasn't been, you know, this hasn't been a roller coaster uh, political campaign as it relates to polling. The polling has been pretty steady. Trump has been getting his ass kicked. And one of the things that'll be interesting, you know, history will come back. And first two things I think that'll be interesting in terms of history. One, your grandchildren are going to ask you questions. And it's going to be hard, or at least I think it'll be hard for me to try to explain what the fuck has been going on. Because someone 30 years from now is going to say, well, hold on. There was a contagious disease. We understand that the disease can be transmitted through the air. But yet the president of the United States wants to have open rallies and super spreader events as we lead up to election day. doesn't seem logical. Well, I don't know, you know, again, I would argue that logic went out the window when the dude went down an escalator after calling a bunch of Mexicans rapists and murderers. Like, logic is gone. There's some other shit going on now. So, you know, people are going to ask, and rightfully so, how did this happen? And moreover, not just how did it happen, but what was your reaction in real time while it was happening? So let's just pick up where we were last week, right? President contracts COVID. President is rushed to the hospital. President decides, fuck it, I'm going to leave the hospital. Right? That's kind of the order of events that happen. So let's just pause there and, you know, seeing the president fight death, fight COVID in the way that he did it, it reminded me of another one of our famed Negro poets and some of the inspirational words that he shared you know, words that have been resonated within the black community for decades after they were uttered. 
And I'm just going to repeat them back to you. I'm taking it back. I come back like Return of the Jedi. Sucker MCs in a place that said I could only rock rhymes, only rock crowds, but never rock records. How you like me now? That to me should be the Trump theme music. Now there is a video of this motherfucker dancing to YMCA. Not sure why he's doing that. (laughs) And it's, it's just so funny because I think as we get further and further out of from things in terms of when they happen, we start to, you know, forget the context for some of our listeners out there. YMCA was uh, the song um, that is, was performed by the village people. Um, The village people, at least from my knowledge, were the first um, admittedly gay pop group. I guess they're a pop group. So there was like a guy who was dressed up like an Indian. There was a dry who was dressed up like a police officer. Um, I don't know who the rest of I don't remember. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't in the <laughs> village people fan group. But there was like five or six dudes. And, um, you know, they would sing these frolicking, you know, gay songs. And one of them was YMCA. If you just listen to the lyrics of YMCA, it's basically, think about, it, you know, people, this is, again, you have to think about the time. You know, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, you know, the YMCA was a popular pit place for uh, young uh, men to populate um, that were per- predominantly or turned out to be predominantly gay. It's almost like a bathhouse. That's pretty much what the why in certain respects was used for. And um, you got these guys, they're singing, is again, admittedly a gay dude singing YMCA. And then there's the president of the United States out here dancing to it. Like, and again, what, what is funny about it, there's nothing wrong with YMCA, there's nothing wrong with the village people. I think it's a catchy song. But the point is, his own constituency is anti-gay. So it would be like, I don't know. I mean, what, 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 if you think about it, just in terms of my understanding of, uh, you know, music that inspires the gay community, there's like Madonna, there's uh, Janet Jackson, right? You put them out, but, you know, it's Diana Ross, and then there's the village people. And so outside of, I don't know what song is more synonymous with like gay pride and like the, the village people. Anything about it, if it's not the village people's Diana Ross with I'm coming out. So I don't, you know, again, if you just play those songs, you think, you know, at least in my mind, you think that, you know, there's a gay parade getting ready to pass you by. And yet you look at Donald Trump, he's out here, you know, campaigning to the village people. So this is like, just when you thought things could not get worse, here they are more and more bizarre. But anyways, that quote that I read you from that Negro poet, How You Like Me Now, is uh, from a poet by the name of Kumo D. Um, Kumo D wrote that song. He was known as a battle rapper at that point in time, and no one thought he would ever successfully get a record label, get a deal from record label, let alone put out a record. And he came out with How You Like Me Now. So you listen to that, or at least I listen to that, and you compare it to the backdrop of Trump, who has now fought off COVID, and he's going to return to the White House, 
And let me just read to you because it, this is something that came out about a week or so ago, and it was amazing when I heard about it. And, you know, it's still amazing now. <laughs> it's still, so I'll just read it to you. This is just word by word here, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. President Donald Trump floated an idea to surprise observers by ripping open his button-down shirt and revealing a Superman t-shirt underneath, according to the New York Times. Trump made several calls during his stay at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center last week, in which he proposed the idea of first appealing physically weak to observers. Upon leaving the hospital, he would then rip open his button-down shirt and boom, Superman. So this is like, now we're kind of, you know, this is like wrestler stuff. This is like WWE wrestler stuff. So, you know, kind of comes out, he's coughing, he's stumbling around, and then he just goes, fuck it, and rips open his shirt. He's got a Superman shirt, and I don't, I would have loved to see him do it. I would have loved to see him do it. And I would have loved to see him do it, not because I would think, oh, you do this and, you know, this will this will cement you losing. Because I don't think that it would. I just think it would have been entertaining. Because there is a, first of all, I think the die is kind of cast now in terms of whether he's going to win or not. I think there's always going to be a strong 30% of the population that is, you know, not just pro-Republican, but buys into this shit or is willing to buy into it or hates Democrats so much, whatever it may be, don't give a shit. Whatever the rationale behind that 30%, but there's always going to be that 30% base. And then you just add on to that. That's typically how Republicans have won. So the point being that the 30% is going to be there. And the 30% would have loved that shit. There couldn't have been the only, th the only thing that would have been better from my mind, if he came out of Walter Reed, you know, he had this coughing fit. He goes down on one knee, right? He goes down on one knee. He's faking coughing. He rips off his mask, reveals the Superman shirt. And while he's coughing, like the Secret Server comes and puts like a huge cape on it, like they used to do with James Brown. Like the end of James Brown's concerts, they put the cape on him, try to bring him off stage, and he would fight him off and go out and do another song. That's what Trump should have done. Should have done James Brown. But again, we're about two weeks left. So at this point in time, you just gotta unload the clip. Like whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you had in terms of, you know, Hail Mary plays or desperation plays, you got to do everything now. You're down by 10 points. You just got to go hard. So when you're, when you are at that point and you're under that much desperation, shit gets real. It gets real in a couple different types of ways. So remember, again, in 2016 or 2015, when Trump is running, the reason why you have the Paul Manifolds, the Brad Parcells, the Steve Bannons, the Rich Gates, I could go through the list of individuals 
who were affiliated with the Trump campaign and have now been charged with crimes. So there's a parade of these characters. The reason why you got those characters, because the legitimate actors, and again, when I say legitimate, I use that word very broadly, but the typical Republican operatives wanted nothing to do with Trump. One, they thought he was going to lose. Two, he's a fucking dirty dude. He's got a reputation of not paying folks. He's got a reputation of lying, of basically doing a shit job. As I said, the only thing he's ever been successful in has been the reality TV show. All of his businesses, he's fucking run into bankruptcy. You look at his tax records, you can see it's not going well. So he had this litany of just ridiculous actors who were willing to associate their names with Trump. And one of the things that you have happen is the fact that you get these ridiculous actors and also you get their ridiculous acts. Think about that for a second. If you go, right, if you want to go and get your car, your, your engine light is on in your car, your car needs to be serviced. You can take your car into a dealer, you can take your car into, you know, an auto shop, you can do those things, or you can opt to get a random motherfucker off the street who professes to know something about cars and let him have at it. You can do all of those things. I would argue letting a random motherfucker off the street fuck around with the engine of your car probably is not going to go well as it relates to getting your car running. But what do I know? So let's just talk about a little bit of his, you know, again, these are the folks that he's brought around him. And this is the things, again, the desperation that comes with now that you're 10 points out. So Trump was already impeached once for these Ukraine and trying to basically force motherfuckers to do these bullshit investigations of Biden. Now, two weeks out, we're going to go right back to the well again. Let's try it again. So, two weeks out, you want to dig up some dirt on uh, Hunter Biden. You want to paint him as a bad actor. How do you go about doing it? Who you call to make that happen, right? You crawl on a man who is acknowledged to fucking his cousin, your friend and mine, Rudy Giuliani. So before we even get into the fuckery that is Rudy Giuliani and Hunter Biden, I just want to give you the backdrop on this. U.S. intelligence agencies warned the White House last year that President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudolph Giuliani, was a target of an influence operation by Russian intelligence, according to former officials with it, uh, familiar with the matter. The warnings were based on multiple sources, including intercepted communications that showed Giuliani was interfacing with people tied to Russian intelligence during a, 2000, uh, excuse me, during a December 2019 trip to Ukraine. 
where he was gathering information that he thought would expose corrupt acts by the former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. The intelligence, ra- the intelligence officers raised concerns that Giuliani was being used to feed Russian information to the president, the former official said. So, Rudy Giuliani comes in for the rescue. Rudy Giuliani is already, so this is, remember, this was, this was already told. This was already told to Trump that this motherfucker was getting worked by the Russians. He knew this. Again, if somebody said to you, there's two mechanics that you can pick to fix your car, okay? You are, you've driven your car, you're on the highway, you're trying to get somewhere, it's an important trip, and now the car is stalled, so you're now on the shoulder of the highway. You can call AAA, come fix your car. Or you can call another guy who's advertising in the newspaper as a, you know, a reputable service to repair your car. And oh, by the way, I also fuck cousins. So I would pick AAA. I wouldn't pick a dude who's fucked his cousin because to me, that information in and of itself taints anything else that motherfucker could do. He could be the greatest repairman ever as it relates to cars. I wouldn't trust him around in my car because he's fucked his cousin. If you... Not only did he fuck his cousin, he married his cousin. So if you marry your cousin, there is a certain mental depravity that you have that would make me think, you know what? I'm going to go get AAA. So with two weeks out from the election and an admitted cousin fucker calls up the president of the United States and says, I got it. This will exonerate you. I don't know if I would listen to the story. So let's just read more about this Giuliani and how he's rushing to the aid of the president. The New York Post Post secured from uh, a copy of a laptop's hard drive given to the paper by Rudy Giuliani. After learning of their existence from a former Trump CEO and political advisor, Steve Bannon. Ding, 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 ding. Full stop. What do we know about Steve Bannon? Steve Bannon was formerly indicted Federal prosecutors in New York unsealed criminal charges against Steve Bannon for allegedly defrauding donors in a massive crowdfunding campaign that claimed to be raising money for the construction of a wall along the U.S.-Mexican border. So think about this for a second. You have a cousin fucker working with the man who was scamming dumb whites out of their money to build a wall that does not exist. 
These are the crack guys that are going to deliver it for the president. So this laptop in question that they got the copy of the hard drive had been taken to a repair shop in Delaware. Its owner appears to have reviewed its contents and given it to the FBI after making a copy and delivering it to Giuliani. The New York Post reported that the computer repair specialist couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden because it wasn't Hunter Biden, but he said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bew Biden Foundation named after Hunter's late brother. So let's just unpack this for a second. How amazing this is. Okay? You've got a laptop that was found in Delaware at a computer repair place, and the owner of the computer repair place again, okay, this is a this is a legitimate store allegedly, and he read the contents of the laptop. And first of all, full stop here. Whoa, I thought you were a pewter a pewter repair guy. I didn't know you were a fucking like spy. Like, why are you reading the content? All you need to do is fix the computer. You don't need to read someone's emails to fix the computer. Number one, that's number one. Number two, if he does that type of vetting for every device that he is uh, in possession of, I would argue, how does he ever get time to fix the computers? Because he's reading through everyone's personal emails. Number three, he turned this over to the FBI. Well, if you turn it over to the FBI, what the fuck is the FBI doing with it? Nothing, because they know it's bullshit. And the one thing that we have that like that links this directly to Hunter Biden is a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation. Well, boom. That's the that's a that's a fucking gets it. Case closed right there. We've got a sticker. <laughs> yeah, this is real. Like I'm literally reading to you. This is base this is the basis for the Hunter Biden whole fiasco. is a laptop with a fucking sticker on it. Now think about this for a second. If you've ever broken a laptop or a, or a, a, a phone and you want it repaired, you just don't go into said repair store and drop it off and be like, yeah, I'll come back and get it later on. How would they know it's yours? If you did not provide any documentation to support who you are, how could they possibly give it back to you? So just think about what they want you to believe. Hunter Biden had a broken computer and he decided of all the places to go to get his computer fixed, he's gonna go to a store in Delaware He's going to give his laptop to this guy. He's not going to put down any money, credit card or anything. He's not going to provide any ID, but he's just going to leave a sticker on that motherfucker because I got you. Look, here's my family crest sticker. And that's all I'm going to need to show when I come back to pick up my laptop. So, you know, this is all bullshit. So... We don't know who brought this alleged 
Hunter Biden laptop into the store. But now let's go back to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon told a leading Dutch public broadcast last month that he had a copper of Hunter Biden's hard drive. You'll see. Stand by, stand by. Bannon teased on camera. Number one, I did not know the Dutch were so big into Steve Bannon or U.S. politics. Number two, these are either the stupidest criminals that we have ever seen, or these are the most ballsy criminals that we have ever seen. Part of me wants to shake their hands in admiration for the ballsiness of just coming out with this type of bullshit. The other part of me is disgusted that literally two weeks out, over 200,000 people dead. We are in a second wave. We are in flu season. And this is the type of shit that we want to run out and focus on. A laptop with a fucking sticker on. It's not just the cousin fucker and Steve Bannon, builder of imaginary walls. If you notice, one of the things that's come out now is that the Trump campaign is basically out of money. They've pulled ads in Colorado. I believe they're pulling them in Wisconsin. They just don't have the money. So you ask yourself, where the fuck did the money go? These guys have been running for re-election since he took office in 2016. Everything has been done has been a shakedown of the Republican Party and its voters. Give me money. Who was the guy who was in charge of the Trump campaign at the end of 2016 and the Trump re-election campaign. It's a guy by the name of Brad Parcell. Brad Parcell had been taken into custody outside of his Fort Lauderdale home and hospitalized after threatening to commit suicide and allegedly beating his wife for days. Police body cam footage showing shows an officer brutally tackling a shirtless 6'8 Prascal to the, to the pavement. So just remember, Brad was running the campaign, the re-election campaign. You gave Brad, again, this is not the best of the best. This is a piece of shit. This is a guy who literally made his bones off of trolling angry, poor white dudes who couldn't find attractive women to fuck them. Gave him $200 million, and this motherfucker has a boat. He lives in a mansion now. He was flying around in private planes. He spent the money. These motherfuckers, Brad Parcell, you remember, just go back, 
Go back. Go back in time. It's hard to do now because so much shit has happened. Remember, there was a Super Bowl. Okay? There was advertising in the Super Bowl. And Brad Parcell thought it was a good idea to spend millions of dollars of campaign money on a Super Bowl ad. Now, two weeks from the election, these motherfuckers are running on financial fumes. Because you relied on Brad Parcell. You gave a 6'8 dumbass $200 million and you thought he would do a good job of administering anything. When arrested, Brad Parcell reportedly broke down in tears while in police custody, admitting to an officer that his wife was not being intimate with him. President Trump's former campaign manager was allegedly armed and threatening to harm himself when he made the marital disclosure to cops. I couldn't accept she isn't having sex with me, Parcell sobbed to a female officer at a hospital after his meltdown. I couldn't accept it. Not in months. I couldn't accept it. I just kept asking her. Now, this isn't really, I mean, as much as it is funny, it's not. It's not funny for a couple of reasons. One, someone was getting their ass whooped. This is not a small man. I believe he's six foot eight. Number two, what is amazing, and you can watch the body cam video of this motherfucker getting tackled on the street. This motherfucker was armed. He was threatening to kill himself. And allegedly, his wife says that he was on drugs. A black man in New Rochelle got murdered on the street. Naked. He had been doing PCP. Naked. Murdered on the street. A black man in Washington, the state of Washington, can get shot multiple times in the back, unarmed. A black man in Florida, excuse me, in, uh, in Minnesota, can get murdered over $20, counterfeit $20 bill. A black man in Georgia can be hunted through the streets and murdered. A black man in Iowa can be murdered and set on fire and then left in a ditch. But a white man on drugs who has beaten his wife, who is threatening to kill himself, all he gets is tackled. But this is the Trump. This is the Trump party. This is It's not no longer the Republican party. Let's just call it the Trump party because I think if you call it the Republican party, it does disservice to actual Republicans. This is what you get. So, not only do is this is what you get, now let's talk about some of the ramifications of what you get. So, initially, there were going to be three debates, presidential debates. The first debate, 
Trump shitted, shit the bed. You know, this went crazy. Because I think he thought in his mind, if I just bully this motherfucker on stage, people will think I'm strong. That didn't work out well. You know, hearing two old white men, you know, bickering on stage didn't go well. And I think most Americans thought that the source of the bickering was from Trump. So that didn't really register well. Then he got COVID. And they said, all right, well, you know, you're fucking sick. Let's just do these, like, you know, these, these uh, virtual debates. And he refused to do that. So at the last minute, he decided to do a town hall that ran up against Biden's town hall. So Biden's town hall is on ABC. Trump's town hall is on NBC. Trump's town hall is broadcast on NBC and MSNBC. Biden's town hall is broadcast on, like I said, just ABC. ABC's live town hall with Joe Biden Thursday night drew 14.1 million viewers. President Trump, which was aired across, as we said, actually, I'm sorry, it was three platforms, NBC, MSNBC, and CNBC, drew 13.5 million viewers. So, number one, I'm less concerned about who watched what. Because you might be a person who was like, yo, I am not going to vote for Trump, but I ain't got to watch what he says because I don't know what the fuck else he could do. Right? So it doesn't, it doesn't mean, at least in my mind, if you tune in for one over the other, that means you're going to vote for that person. But what I do think it is that there was enough people out there, like, you know, 14 million of them tuned in to watch Biden. And here's the one thing about Biden, which I think is the reason why he has a 10-point lead. He's a white man. Not only is that, he's an old white man. And he's just like this, oh, gosh, shucks, and just rambling demeanor. But you know what you don't think that dude is going to do? Fuck a porn star and then pay her hush money. You don't think Joe Biden is going to do that? You don't think Joe Biden is going to call a foreign government and ask them to interfere in the U.S. elections? You don't think Joe Biden is going to do that? So there's just a, just a level of stability and boringness that Joe Biden brings that I think American people really want. Like enough of the fucking reality TV shit. You know, it was funny on the campaign the first time, but now not so funny. I think I've had enough. So in my mind, that telecast was more about, and you can, again, if you flipped over and watched between the two, you could see where one was just kind of more, this boring, for lack of a better term, old white dude, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with what he was saying, it was just boring. And the other one is where it's not boring, but it is compelling in a way because it fucking freaks you out. It's compelling in the way, the same way people watch horror movies. It's compelling in a way that apparently there's a whole genre of like people willingly going to prison to find out what the prison experience is. Don't know why, but that's a thing. Like this dude is talking about you're more likely to get COVID if you're wearing a mask and just this ridiculous shit. And not, not only is it ridiculous, it's so ridiculous that I don't have time to get into it. 
because that's how ridiculous it is. But with two less weeks left, what else you got to do? So now's the time to kind of throw out all the Hail Mary passes to try to figure out what the fuck can be done. So I want to leave you with this. And I found this to be funny because I don't know. I just found it to be funny. And let me just read this to you. The focus is again on the team's treatment of its cheerleaders. Previous reports have detailed how the group has alleged facing sexual abuse and unwanted advances. They have been used as props for the team's events and no unknowingly had semi-nude outtakes turned to some kind of video for team owner Dan Snyder. Between the Washington Post original and follow-up reports, the number of women alleging some kind of harassment, abuse, or exploitation by the team is well into double digits. Even as Snyder claims to be unaware or at least apologetic of the culture of that he has basically ran for decades of owning the team, there's something more that's come to place. So let me just go back and give you context of what I just read. Dan Snyder owns the Washington Redskins, formerly the Washington, excuse me, owns the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins. And what has come out, I think one of the triggering points of why he changed the name of the team, that apparently he had just been running some type of weird white frat house in terms of the treatment of cheerleaders. So now comes Donald Welts, the director of the Washington cheerleading squad from 1997 to 2009, recalled one such instance to the Washington Post, in which Snyder allegedly said the following, you better keep them skinny with big tits or I'll fucking kill you. Well said Snyder told him at a 2004 charity event where the squad performed. Now, first of all, I don't know Donald Wells. I'm assuming that he's gay. Okay? I am. I'm assuming that he's gay because he's been a cheerleading coach for almost a decade or over a decade. So I'm assuming that, and I apologize to Mrs. Wells if he is not gay. Or maybe Mrs. Wells should be more worried about what Mr. Wells is doing outside of the home. But either way, you got to ask yourself, first off, this is what happens when you own everything. When you own the whole team, the whole organization, this is what happens for some of these dudes because he just doesn't have any filter. Every team, I would argue, first of all, if you, you know, if you, I don't even know if they're cheerleaders in the pandemic. I don't know. If that, that's a great question, so that's something I will endeavor to find out and report back for the next podcast. But interesting question about whether they are trailers in the pandemic, but let's assume that they are. I would argue that every team in the NFL, no NFL team, or better yet, no NFL team has cheerleaders with small tits. I don't think small chested or flat chested women are being used as cheerleaders in the NFL. I don't think you need to threaten death <laughs> to make sure that happens. I think that's pretty much just the way it goes. <laughs> so really why I say that is because clearly two things are happening here. 
One is Daniel Snyder has no friends. He has no friends. Because if he had a friend, then you need friends plural. He just need, needs one friend. This needs one friend to say, hey, let me take care of the brawl size of the cheerleaders, Dan. Let me handle that. And you just focus on making or producing Mission Impossible movies and whatever else he fucking does in his spare time. We don't need you getting into the brawl size. Number two, it's really, and again, I don't I don't know Donald Wells. I don't know how big he is, whatever. I imagine that he's a small gay man. And it's just like, don't why why are you fucking with him? Why are you threatening to kill the small gay cheerleader coach? The final thought on this is. And this is the piece, and this is why I raised it. Keep in mind, Dan Snyder still owns the team. When these allegations came out in terms of mistreatment of women, they hired a law firm, and then, you know, NFL said, no, 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 it's getting too big. We got to bring in our own independent investigators. But Dan Snyder is still there. He's not suspended. He's nothing. He's still the owner. He's sitting in the box every week watching the team. Colin Kaepernick can't get a job. Just think about that for a second. All this brother did was kneel and say, hey, it's not cool for police to kill black folk. And Daniel Snyder, conversely, has treated, and the thing that's so funny about this, the majority of the women that we're talking about are good white women. He's treating white chicks like this. And no one has said shit. There's no punishment. There's an investigation, allegedly. Nothing is happening. He still owns the team. Bob Kraft can get a hand job from an Asian chick, no repercussions. So, and I'm a hypocrite. I watch football. I'm going to watch football this Sunday. I play fantasy football. I'm going to watch the games. But when you watch football, one of the things that's illuminating, or at least is to me, that it is very direct and in your face, the systematic racism, whether it's been the 50 plus years that has taken the NFL to get comfortable that a black man had the mental acumen to be a quarterback, whether it be the dearth of African-Americans in, in, in management positions, coaches in the NFL, and when they are coaches in the NFL, they're typically kept a defense because offense is looked at as too sophisticated for a nigga to understand. And when black folks have been successful on offense, they are routinely drummed out of the league. Look at the Detroit Lions. 
They were a shit team. They hired a black coach. He made them relevant. They did not go to the playoffs enough. Again, this was a team that lost all of its games one year. I'm sorry, they went 1-15. Black dude got him to 500, got him a game over 500. They're like, well, we're not going far enough. So they fired him. They brought in a white man. And guess what? They suck again. There are coaches in the NFL that you have seen not just fail now, but have been failures throughout their career. The head coach of the New York Jets, Adam Gase, is a loser. He has been unsuccessful his past two seasons with the Jets. And before that, you know where he came from? He came from the Miami Dolphins. And how do you think they did there? This is a white man who's never been to the playoffs. He's been a head coach in the NFL for at least six years, probably over that, and he's never been to the playoffs, yet he still has a fucking job. And when they talk about replacement candidates for him, it's like, hey, let's get a white man from college. Heaven forbid that any black person could even get the fucking opportunity. And I say that, and I say that because if it was just about football, it'd be one thing. But I think that football, because it's a sport and draws more attention, you get to see it played out in real life. But the NFL is no different than the Wells Fargo's, the JP Morgan's, the Morgan Stanley's, the Amazon's, all the, I mean, I could go on and on and on who have no black executives who complain that it's hard to find black executives, hard to find black talent. Like we're fucking hiding. So I want to leave the show on a positive note. Um, We got two more weeks. I hope you and your loved ones are safe, situated, stay calm. Most of all, stay positive. Peace.